This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Jim mentioned in his prayer earlier, um, our world is faced with much turmoil. Uh, we we uh, can turn on the news earlier in this year, and we saw riots in the cities. We saw the burning of buildings. We saw the toppling of statues. Uh, we... Uh, also have uh, seen this year uh, pestilence, um, uh, this, this disease that has uh, shut things down, that has, has um, uh, affected so many people. And we have seen just within the past week um, storming of our capital. I mean, this, the, we are living in times of great, great turmoil. And what do we need in the midst of great, great turmoil? What do we need to be able to be our our rock and our foundation? We need a vision of a big God. We need a vision of a big God who is able to take care of us in the midst of all this turmoil. Isaiah chapter 6 gives us a vision of a big God. We need to see God like He reveals Himself here in Isaiah 6 if we're going to make it through the coming year. I'll read our text. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim, Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And on one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a, a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And when he and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, and I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, and the houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth tree or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is the stump. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your grace to us. Lord, we thank you that Jesus died in our place, 
to take our sin upon himself. Father, we pray now, uh, Lord, that you would be with us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, help us not be like the people that uh, Isaiah preached to, unable to understand or see or hear what Isaiah said. Lord, give us those ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, we love you. Give me grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Begins in the year that King Uzziah died. This was a time of turmoil, wasn't it? The, the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah had been king over Judah for 50 years. He had been king. Uh, people didn't live quite as long back then. And so he'd probably been the only king that some people even knew. He had been the king for 50 years. It had been a time of, of, of a golden age uh, economically and, and things were going very, very well and he died. And you can imagine how people what must have felt. What's going to happen? What's going to happen now that the king is, is dead? What's going to happen? Uh, are, are, is there going to be economic change? Is there going to be all the, the, the kinds of changes that can happen on a transfer of leadership? What's going to happen? So it was a time of turmoil. Another thing that we might think of here is Uzziah was the king of Judah. Uzziah was a descendant of David. Right? And David was promised that he would have a son who would sit on his throne forever. Boy, Uzziah, he had 50 years on that throne. It must have seemed pretty good, but it wasn't forever. It wasn't forever. There was a promise made to David, and, and Isaiah, I think uh, this is important in his own mind, uh, the fact that there's a promise that one day there's going to be a son of David who's going to sit on the throne forever. And yet, King Uzziah died. This thing that had been prophesied, this thing that God uh, had promised to David, wasn't yet happening. And so there's a longing and an expectation and a hope for what God will bring about. Well, in this year of turmoil, in this year when, when King Uzziah died and they didn't know what was going to happen, this year whenever everything that was stable begins to change, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. It was in the midst of all this turmoil that Isaiah sees the Lord and it says, I, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. We need to hear that. We live in the midst of turmoil. We live, live in the midst of all kinds of things going on. Even if there wasn't a pandemic. Even if there wasn't uh, uh, all kinds of, of uh, political unrest in our country. We live in a time when we deal with things like cancer. Rebellious children. You can name whatever kind of turmoil that you've gone through in this past year that didn't make the news. We need to know in the midst of our turmoil, that the Lord is sitting on the throne. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He was high and lifted up. He was exalted. The train of His robe filled the temple. 
Just the little corner. Just the, just the, the hem of his robe. Just the, the, the very bottom train of it. Filled the whole temple. Okay? That, that's how it's pointing to the bigness and the greatness of how big the Lord is. Just the very corner of it filled the whole temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. The seraphim, these are angelic beings. Uh, the word seraph, um, it's a word that means burning. Uh, I believe that the seraphim, when we read about the, the, the seraphim, uh, that these would be like angels that are angelic beings that are, are, are bright and shining because the word there has the idea of burning in it. So you have these bright, shining, angelic beings that have, that have wings, of six different wings, right? And with two, they covered their face. I think this signifies to us that God is so big and so holy that even the angels couldn't look at Him. These great angelic beings that were shining in their might, the angels had to cover their, their eyes because God was so great and glorious. And with two, they covered their feet. You think of Moses, whenever he came before the Lord and the Lord told him, take off your sandals because the, the, feet of, the ground on which you stand is holy ground. Even the angels, they couldn't stand before the Lord. They had to cover their feet. And with two, they flew. They couldn't even touch the ground. Even when their feet covered, they couldn't touch the ground. God was so big and so holy and so magnificent that even the angels needed their wings to protect them from the bright, shining, glorious holiness of the Lord. And they called out and said to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled, is full of His glory. They said holy three times. Holy, holy, holy. Something about the Hebrew language, whenever there's a, uh, an adjective like this that is repeated three times, that's the way they spoke in superlatives. So uh, that is the, that's how they emphasize something. That's the best. That's the greatest. So the Lord isn't just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. That's, that's how holy He is. Uh, he is the greatest, the holiest, the, the most holy you can possibly imagine. He's holy. And what is holiness? What is holiness? Holiness, um, uh, there, there are basically two concepts that we think of when we think of holiness. Holiness is, a, is an otherness. It's a separateness. It's, it's set apart. Um, set apart as, as a divine, for divine use, as, as something that's a holy instrument or something. But, but he, is, he is set apart. He's different. He's nothing like any of us. He's holy. And then there's the moral purity that's the, the concept behind holiness. God is completely and morally pure. There's nothing, there's no sin in him. He is perfect. He is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We don't often know what 
this host's idea, but the hosts of heaven, we think of, of, of many, many, many different uh, angels, the hosts of heaven, right? Uh, it's, it's an army. It's an army. So the Lord is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of armies. And what do we need in a time of turmoil? What do we need in, in a time whenever things are difficult and, and, and hard for us? We need the Lord of armies who can rush in and protect us. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Well, earlier, we saw that the train of His robe filled the temple. Right? And here it's expanding. The whole earth is filled with His glory. He is big. He is glorious. There isn't a place on this planet that isn't touched by His glory. He is big. He is mighty. And He can be there in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our turmoil. And He is ready to save. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Well, who was calling when the foundations of the thresholds were Shaken? It was the angel. The angel was calling to another angel and, and the, the voice of it, it was so big that even the foundations of the threshold shook, right? And so the temple was shaking. The building was shaking whenever the angel was calling out. Just imagine how big God is if it was the angel that was, that was crying out and the temple was shaking. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said... Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We gather together Sunday by Sunday to worship God. And oftentimes our worship doesn't recognize God for who He is. We might come and we might, and I, I'm, I, this, is, this is my first time with you, so I don't have any way to describe, I mean, I've been here on an on a Easter Sunday morning, but I don't know what your regular worship is like. But so many times we see worship that's directed around trying to talk about how great we are instead of how great God is sometimes. Worship that's, uh, that's very just sentimental. Worship, true worship, is centered around the greatness and the holiness of God and how great He is. And when we really come in the presence of God, do you want to come in the presence of God? This is what happens when we come in the presence of God. When we come into the presence of God, we can't help but fall on our knees and we're just bowled over by the presence of this holy God. Isaiah, when he came into the presence of God, he said, woe is me. Woe is me. It must have been almost painful for Isaiah to come into the presence of God. He says, for I am lost. The, the term there, it has the idea of loosening. Un, uh, the, some other translations say, I am undone. 
He's, he's fallen apart. The, the joints have, and, and all of his, his body parts have just come apart. It's the idea that it gets across there. He comes into the presence of this holy God and he just falls apart. Have you ever come into the God's presence like that? Where you just, you just can't even hold yourself together anymore. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. When he came into the presence of God, the, one of the first things that comes onto, into his mind is his own sin. Right? When we come to worship God in the presence of God, our mind is not on what so-and-so did over there. Right? Our mind is not on the world is so bad. The mind, our mind, when we come into the presence of God, is on, I'm a wreck. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah is saying, I've got a filthy mouth. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He identifies himself with his people. He's saying, I'm a sinner and I'm no better than anybody else I live around. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When he he comes into the presence of God, he realizes how much of a sinner he is. That's what true worship does. We realize how much of a sinner we are. But then he says, my eyes have seen the King. We've heard that term already in this passage, right? (laughs) Isaiah is having this vision the year that King Uzziah died. The King died. But the Lord is sitting on the throne and then He says, I've seen the King, the real King. Uzziah may have died, but I've seen the King, the true King, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord of hosts. Then, He says, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So this angel, this angelic, burning being, flies over to Isaiah and he has a burning coal from the altar. Well, remember, they're in the temple. He's having this vision in the temple. And what is it that the altar and the sacrifice represents? In order for sin to be covered, in order for sin to be atoned for, there had to be a sacrifice. And the Old Testament sacrifice was all pointing forward to something greater when Jesus would come, right? The whole Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing forward to the fact that Jesus would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. We have this vision of the throne room of heaven where an angel takes a burning coal from the altar and he touches Isaiah with it. I think what we see here 
is pointing forward to Jesus. It's pointing forward to the perfect and ultimate sacrifice that was made for us. This burning coal that had been then taken from the altar, the place of sacrifice, And it says the angel, the, the angel touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. The very place that Isaiah confessed his sins, right? What, what was his sin? I have, I'm a man of unclean lips. The very place where Isaiah confessed his sin was the very place that was touched by the coal. The coal... The burning coal had the idea of, of cleansing, cleansing the sin that Isaiah had. He said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. You know, we know from reading the whole of the Bible that the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. But it's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that we sang about when we sang there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. God with us. An animal dying couldn't couldn't, uh, cleanse Isaiah. But this cleansing points forward to the fact that his sins were taken away by the blood of Jesus as he looked forward in hope to that. His sins were atoned for. His guilt was taken away. When we read this, this is really appropriate for taking communion. We need to hear the message, your sins are taken away. Your, Your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. And every week, whenever you get together and you take communion, you're hearing it proclaimed to you, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Proclaiming that message every single week. And we need to preach the gospel to one another. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I've, I've sinned, I've, I, I've, I've broken this law or that law, and, and we feel sometimes in our own hearts like, I just don't measure up. I can't be who God wants me to be. And that's true. But we need to remind one another and preach the gospel to ourselves and remind it's not about me. It's about the fact that God has taken away my guilt. He's taken away my sin. Well, the next thing that happens here, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people. Notice the order here. What happened first to Isaiah? He came into the presence of God. He confessed his sin and he was cleansed. And after that comes calling. Cleansing comes before calling. Right? Many people like to get the idea of they want to go out and do something good. They want to go out and make a difference in the world, right? They want to go out and, and um, uh, you know, 
volunteer for Habitat for Humanity and all these things. And, you know, that's good. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But for the Christian to be engaged in those things, it's after cleansing comes calling. It's when we're motivated by the new birth, by God changing our hearts and and making us new and cleansing us from sin. Then He calls us out to go out into the world. There's a difference between just being motivated by just a sense of wanting to be a good person and being motivated by the fact that we've been cleansed and then been called. Isaiah heard the voice saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, he volunteers, right? He says, I'm here. Here I am. Send me. And this is what God tells him to say. Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes and lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That's a strange message. That's a strange message. If I, when I felt called to preach when I was young, heard God say, Go out and preach, but nobody's going to listen to you. I don't think I would have volunteered for that. (laughs) Go out and preach, but nobody's going to listen to you. One thing we see here is is, uh, the Lord was the one who gave him the message. He said, go and say to this people. And then he gives gives the message. Every preacher, regardless of who he is, needs to make sure that the message that he preaches is the message that the Lord has given in here. Right? In here. And so many times, a preacher will get up with his own agenda and just be all over the place because he's got a vision But the Lord is the one who tells the preacher what to preach. And that is, like, I, like Paul said, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. So the Lord is the one who determines what His messenger is going to say. He says, preach. Uh, you know, Isaiah might have been tempted to try to you know, water it down a little bit. You know, to get people to listen. Right? He might have been tempted to maybe bring in a praise band or something, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe people will listen. But no, the Lord says, this is what your message is. And you don't water it down or anything to get people to listen to you because I'm not going to let people hear you. <laughs> That's a strange message. That is a very strange message. And, and one that I don't think any preacher today would want to go out and preach. And then Isaiah asked the, 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 the most appropriate question when hearing a message like that. He says, how long, O oh Lord? You're telling me, Lord, I'm going to go out and preach and nobody's going to listen to me. How long am I supposed to do this? Right? He asked, how long, O oh Lord? And the Lord gives him the answer. This seems like it's getting from bad to worse. 
He says, until the cities lie waste and are without inhabitants. <laughs> Thanks, God. And the houses are without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth tree or an oak. Whose stump remains when it is felled. He... It's going to get bad, the Lord is telling Isaiah, and it's going to get worse. But I'm still king. I'm still on the throne. People aren't going to listen to you, but you just be faithful to what I've said to say to people. And it's going to get so bad, the people are going to be taken away into exile. They're going to be taken away. But you just keep on being faithful. Keep on preaching what I told you to preach. Verse 13. The holy seed is its stump. This very last thing. We, we, we don't want to forget that last line. See, God was dealing with His people in judgment. Eventually the Babylonians came and they take, took away um, God's people into Babylon, into captivity, and there were very few people left like Isaiah is told it's going to be like. There were very few people left. And they were like a, a tree that was cut down. Here's this flowering tree that's Judah. That's, that's God's people. The line that, that the king is going to come from. And the tree is cut down. And Isaiah is wondering... Wait a minute. How are you going to be faithful to your promise? How are you going to be faithful to your promise if, if the people are just going to be all gone? And the answer is in that last line. The holy seed is in the stump. The holy seed is in the stump. What is the holy seed? Well, Isaiah had the rest of the Bible to reflect on. Not the rest of the Bible, but the, 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 the Bible that was written before him to reflect on. And we think of a prophecy back... In the very first chapters of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve fell, and God promised in the middle of this curse in Genesis 3, in chapter, Genesis 3 15, in the middle of this curse, he, he says that he'd put enmity between the woman and the serpent, and between her seed and its seed. And there would come a time whenever a descendant of Eve, a, a seed of the woman, would crush the serpent's head. And so faithful Israel had this promise to look forward to, that there was going to one day be a Messiah. There was one day going to be a seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve, if we would come and crush the serpent's head. And as, this, as the Old Testament developed, you have Abraham who's promised that one day he's going to have descendants, seed, who's going to one day be, be, bless all nations, the blessing of Abraham. And then later on, you see in, still in Genesis that the scepter won't depart from Judah. Narrowing it down, narrowing it down. And then you get to David's time and he promises there'll be a son who'll sit on a throne forever. 
kind of reflecting on that scepter shall not depart from Judah. This, there's this promise of a seed that goes from Genesis all the way through. And God tells Isaiah, in the spite of the fact that God's people, Israel, is like a tree that's cut down, there's still going to be that stump left. And even that stump might even be burned. It's going to get bad, it's going to get worse. But that in that stump is still going to be the holy seed. And you know what? A few hundred years pass. Cyrus lets the people come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. A few hundred years pass by, and we come to the beginning of Genesis, of, of Matthew, right? Where we have a genealogy. And in that line, you've got all these kings, Uzziah, and we follow it on down to the Holy Seed, the son of David, who is going to sit on the throne forever. It was Jesus. You know, all this turmoil and all this trouble that Isaiah saw had him asking the question, how are you going to be faithful to your promise? The king is dead. There's so much turmoil. God, how are you going to be faithful to your promise? And the last line here in this chapter, Isaiah is told, it's going to get bad, it's going to get worse, but don't forget, the holy seed is in its stump. God is on the throne. And he's not going to give up on his promise to send the Messiah. Now we live in a New Testament era. The Messiah has come. And we need to know, in the midst of the difficulty we face, in the midst of, of turmoil, political, racial, all of these things that we faced even in the past year, in the midst of a pandemic, we need to know that God is on the throne. And Jesus Christ is King. We need a vision of a big God. We need a vision of a big God who's in control, who has the whole world in His hands.